welcome to the Podcast of Power, a She-Ra and the Princesses of Power companion podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Nero. And I'm the other host, Jane. And we're in it now. We are in Finale Town, City Limits. Only two episodes left, the Heart Two-Parter here, and Failsafe, which we are covering this week. And these are big chunky episodes full of lots of character drama lots of stuff going on so strap in folks it's gonna be a long one oh yes get the popcorn get all the all your accoutrements maybe some sort of uh delicious beverage because this is gonna be quite a long episode probably uh quite the long question section as well we've got quite a few of those this week so we'll probably just dedicate the spoilers onto that because there's some that might require spoiler stuff. And also, you know, there's nothing to talk about because there's two episodes left. Hey, we might we might as well get get our very last spoiler zone in the last one of the whole series. That's right. So Failsafe season five, episode 11 is sort of the it's kind of the third part of the finale when you really think about it. It is. Uh, an episode that that sets everything up and leads directly into heart part one yes it is basically it's it's the uh as the snowball begins to roll down the uh the mountain becoming this this massive boulder of ice is this is we're we're seeing the very beginnings of it as as it sort of rolls down the hill here and uh it's uh it's it's starting to sort of uh steamroll the cast a little bit yes uh so we have sort of spent most of the past few episodes kind of having one side character to wrap up their arc right last week it was perfuma it was scorpia in uh Mer mysteries or um in uh perils of peekaboo and all that and this week it's time for Shadow Weaver to return to the spotlight. Yes, uh, Shadow Weaver is now getting sort of fully reintroduced to the cast, to the story here. Uh, she's been hanging around for, you know, parts of season five. She's appeared here and there, but this is really when she starts to, like, kind of come come back into things here, just in the very last section of it. And not everyone... I would say is an especially big fan of her being here. I would say none of them are a fan of it, but specifically the person who is least a fan of it is Catra. And we'll get to that. But I think first to get it out of the way, so we're not jumping around, we should definitely cover the short little B plot of this episode because there is one. Yes. And uh, it, it is about Entrapta and Swiftwind going on a sort of expedition to get some data on how to remove these chips before they become permanent. Yes, as it turns out, uh, getting chipped is real, real bad. And of course, we knew that already. But in this situation, remember all those green sort of lime flavored veins that sort of appear all over your body? Well, turns out that's because the chip is integrating with your central nervous system. And if it does that for too long, it just becomes your central nervous system. And you die if they try to remove it. So that's not great. So Entrapta has to gather data in a place where with a high concentration of clones. And obviously uh, everyone else is off doing this Mysticor mission. So the only person available to escort her is Swiftwind, who is not terribly excited uh, to be on this mission. 
Yes, this is really his, I would say this is his, like, first real Entrapta experience. And uh, basically the Entrapta experience is uh, if she gets an idea in her head, she is going to do it, and she doesn't really take no for an answer. So uh, Swiftwind is kind of just... He, he's trying to, you know, he's trying his best. He's trying to keep a handle on the situation, but uh, mostly he's he's just sort of the backup in this situation here. He's her ride. He's her ride. He is the bird horse in this yes, situation, which, which he he's still not does happy not about. Like. <laughs> no, he doesn't like being called that, but you know what? Why argue at this point? Uh, before we get into that, we should also note that there is another change in this in the intro for this week. Oh yes, uh, now I, that that's great. Now that Spinnerella has been rescued, uh, in in the big splash screen at the end of the intro, you can see Natasha and Spinnerella just making out over in the corner. There, it's great. Yeah, the cloud wives get to make out on the uh, on the splash screen here. It's great. I love it. Wonderful little detail. That's great, and we also see uh, Spinnerella in in, uh, in the hospital in the infirmary with with Natasha at her side there uh, towards the beginning of the episode. So, you know, it, it is really is just very breezy. It's just Entrapta going, and like we see her character growth, where it's like Swiftwind is at first doing the whole thing. Like, listen, I don't think any tech is really worth going near that many clones. And Trap is like, no, listen, it's not about any of that. I need to get here. So I can stop our friends from becoming, like, permanently part of the hive mind. Yeah, it's, you know, Entrap has come a long way here. And this is sort of, in in some ways, I feel like this is the, an additional conclusion to sort of her character arc. Which is nice, because the last one, like, the sort of proper one she got kind of sucked. Yeah. Uh, as we discussed before. But this one, it, it, does, it ties a little bit of a better bow on it, because it ends up with basically the same exact kind of tone of just like you know entrapta is like more focused on her relationships than she is to uh the technology that she sort of uses as like that that she both it has a special interest but also sometimes you know uses as like sort of a supplement for the fact that she it has a hard time forming those relationships right so so that's great so that it focuses on that but it doesn't turn it into like a whole nasty nonsense affair uh but the the sort of the other thing that happens here is when they actually get to sort of the location where they're trying to go and all these clones are just sort of hanging out doing their clone thing um they do get spotted uh but luckily for them they get spotted by hordak Yes, and so he and Entrapta have this moment. Hordak, you know, recognizes her, remembers her, and and Entrapta is very thankful for that. But Hordak is like, he is still sort of tortured by these memories, kind of. The purification didn't take at all, and he's got this, this reminder of the person he used to be, and now he is being directly confronted by her uh here and like that's 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 very tough for him yeah it's he's having a rough one with this because like you know he's he's like why do i remember you why do i recognize your face why why can't i get these memories of you out of my head and he's just like completely like he doesn't really know what to do and 
you know, he's Entrapta and Swiftwind are like, hey, we we just gotta go. I'm sorry, you know. Swiftwind's like, yeah, we we gotta we gotta head out. Uh, we we need to leave. And you know, Horax like, you know, may, fine, get out of here. Maybe then these memories and imperfections will leave me. And then Entrapta just sort of, while well, she's getting dragged away by the the pigtails here, uh, she just sort of shouts, uh, "Your imperfections are beautiful," and that sort of gives him a moment of pause. He's like. He is, he's remembering more than just Entrapta's presence and, like, her face. He's starting to remember, like, the actual contents of those memories, it seems. Because the way, the way it seems to have gone for him is, like, the, the, the purification went down. Um, it basically mind-wiped him entirely, uh, but there was just enough of his underlying personality that some of these, like, snapshots of his memory, like, came through, just, like, brief images and, and things like that. Enough to make him really confused, but not enough for him to, like, really realize anything. Um, but now, now that he's had time to, like, you know, take advantage of Prime's distractions to, like, work through it a little more, you know, and this, in addition, uh, kind of reminding him of the contents of those memories. Now, I have a feeling he's going to start to actually remember things, not just half remember them. Yeah, remember what made their relationship meaningful. Remember what it is that she she taught him about himself and how, you know, the Horde Prime's whole sort of deal is just completely uh warped and messed up yeah so we'll we'll see how that pans out in the future i'm sure i'm sure it'll definitely uh definitely not amount to anything important so let's we got that out of the way because we know we're going to be spending a lot of time here in the a plot on this mystic or stealth mission so oh yes i think immediately things are contentious uh, as soon as Shadow Weaver walks into the room, basically, like immediately. Yeah, Shadow Weaver is just immediately like, yeah. So we knew about the Heart of Etheria the whole time, and uh, we are gonna go and try to uh, get it, and we need your help uh, to get it. And you know, immediately everyone is kind of like, why? Why are we helping you? You're just after the Heart of Etheria, like again for like the eighteenth time. And, you know, cast a spell is like, listen, nobody likes this. No one likes her. However, she is the lesser of two evils here, which I have to I have to question uh, cast a spell judgment slightly. Like, is she is she really? Catra also questions cast a spell judgment there, um, because, of course, this once again, as we said in the last episode, this is the first time she and Shadow Weaver have been in the same room since uh, Shadow Weaver tried to murder her uh, before the portal incident. Like th- this is the this is the next time, and she is extremely not happy to, to be here and and uh, for for her to be here. And and Shadow Weaver, for her part, is also very not ha- much not happy to see her, and is also right back into our classic manipulation mode here with Adora. We are getting. 
Oh, we're playing all the hits here. We got the shoulder touches. We got the cheek touches. We got the, like, mom voice. It's all here. It's all here. Shadow Weaver's really fallen back into her old groove with Adora and Catra with the exact thing that she always does with her sort of false nurturing attitude towards Adora, trying to drive a wedge between the two of them and constantly beating Catra down emotionally and trying to keep her quiet so that Adora, of course, is susceptible to the things that she's saying sort of sort of the classic tactics of the woman here which uh which i'm sure is going to work out really well for her yes uh this time around though adora for the most part is not accepting these 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 sort of uh like the these the general tricks of shadow weaver right she's constantly shoving the hand off her shoulder she's ignoring shadow weaver at certain points uh she is not the same girl she was back in the horde she has matured and grown up and then has other relationships now and shadow weaver shadow weaver immediately knows exactly what relationship it is that has uh, really changed and impacted adora the most oh yes no she she can recognize exactly what it is that uh that has changed about the uh the situation here and she's not especially happy about it uh but the thing is shadow weaver's sort of classical tactics here uh, they have multiple angles of attack. There's there's different angles of approach here, and while some of the main ones don't necessarily work on Adora very well here, there are a couple of them that work extraordinarily well, but we'll be getting to those later. Uh, for now, um, I do want to point out the very funny bit um, in this sort of opening sequence here where uh, Castaspella sort of interrupts Shadow Weaver and wants to uh, to tell the story about uh, the Arxia outpost and the and where the failsafe is. But she only gets like a quarter of the way through the story before Shadow Weaver just cuts her off and tells the rest of it in an extremely like droll tone. And when Castaspella gets mad, uh, she's just like, oh, you're taking too long. Like, like Shadow Weaver will not let anyone else in the room be dramatic she's the only one who is permitted to be theatrical correct yeah and so they have their mission uh they need to sneak into mysticor and get the uh the fail safe which is encoded onto the crystal of arxia um so you know they obviously they need catra and milog for this but but they've walked out of the room they don't catra really 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 does not want to go along with this she is extremely uncomfortable with shadow weaver being here and doesn't want any part in this at all yeah she sort of and she asks some important questions you know she's like you know why why is shadow weaver suddenly calling the shots again why is she in charge why are you just listening to her and you know adora's like listen I I'm not here to to listen to Shadow Weaver. She's she's not in control. This isn't like when we were kids. This is different now. You know, she can't hurt us anymore and we're really only doing this because like it is kind of the only plan we have and it was what we were going to do anyway. So, you know, Catcher's still not especially convinced, but what does convince her? Well, naturally, it's when Adora uh, is about to say we need you but then stops herself and puts her hands on Catra's shoulder and says that i need you mm, yes yes that and that and that's what that's what actually makes her change her mind yes but it's not that she 
likes her or anything, um, <laughs> please ignore that the the cat, who is basically the external representation of my emotional state, you know, tackling you and and, and and licking your face and whatnot. Ignore that part. It's yeah. It's it's not like I like you or anything. It's I. It's so funny they have her actually say that. It's kind of amazing. <laughs> she's still on that line after all this time. You know, she's she's said that several times, but never has it rung so hollow. Oh God, yeah. I mean, hey, listen, it's it sort of comes with the territory at this point, Catcher. You you. you you're 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 the archetype but you just the cat really throws everything off milog kind of makes it impossible to be uh to be a uh, soon there you can't so yeah this they they head out to mysticor and the other person i think you know no one's having a good time here except maybe shadow weaver but like the person the other person who's having a supremely bad time is glimmer because if you'll remember she hasn't actually met her dad uh, since she learned he was alive. Yeah. And he is currently a a mind-controlled, like, w- death wizard. Yeah, yeah. They, uh, the girl's not having a good time. They're, they're, so they're all on their stealth mission, and they're sneaking through everything, and they're trying to get to the Wizards Hall of Wizards, and Micah comes down the hallway, and... Glimmer is really shaken up by seeing her dad at this point. She's, like, visibly sweating. Like, she's breaking out into a cold sweat. She's, like, very shallow breathing. Is instantly 12 bags under her eyes. Just she, she is, She's not having an especially great time seeing her dad here, but uh, she, gets, she gets a hand on her shoulder to kind of try and steady her, and... Uh, it's, it's, uh, Castaspella who is having an equally bad time, uh, seeing this happen. It's, it's, it's not, it's not fun for either of them here, you know, and when your dad and, and, or your brother are just sort of turned into like a lich, it sort of creates problems. Yeah. Nobody likes to uh, have it happen and the bad times continue as they reach the kind of uh, the the knowledge chamber that we saw in in season one, there it's it's actually been a hot minute since we've been back to Mysticor. I think the last time we saw it was uh, Light Spinner, I believe. That would I think that was the last time we've actually set foot in those halls. And so it's seeing it all. You know, it's dark. It, there's zombies walking around everywhere. Very different from the mood. Zombie wizards, I'll have you know, which is the worst kind. Oh, yeah. I mean, it combines zombies and also wizards who are just all the worst, as we'll learn later. Um, and then this is when, you know, Catra kind of starts walking ahead because they don't see any sorcerers at first, but, you know, one shows up. And Shadow Weaver, uh, like, just grabs her and, like, puts her hand over her mouth and is like, don't, you idiot, don't move forward. And this causes Catra to freak the hell out. Yeah, she's like, keep your voice down. We can't afford to be caught right now. And she, like, Shadow Weaver not only grabs her uh, by, like, the, the like, shoulder, but also, like, covers her mouth with her hands. And, like, this is a very forceful maneuver. And Catra just is not here for it at all. She immediately jumps and shouts, you know, don't touch me. She's, like... Her, her hair is standing on end. She is 
very, 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 very uncomfortable with this. Um, uh, which is unfortunate because uh, this means that their cover is blown and they need to move. Uh, and so they're they're all sort of trying to to head as quickly as possible towards the uh, the secret wizard chamber. Yes. So you know they and, and importantly, Adora attempts to uh, summon the sword and become Shira, and it just doesn't work. It just fizzles and nothing happens. So she has to take shelter behind a pillar uh, from the blast of magic. So that's a problem that she is having over the course of this episode. Yeah, Shira is still a wall and she doesn't appear to be coming back anytime soon, which uh which she did it's less than great right now. Yes. So they make their way into the Hall of Statues and there's a secret door that just has the crystal of Arxia on it. Um yeah, it's kind of it's not really a secret. Amazing that the secret wizard society didn't uh, didn't figure that out at any point in the past several thousand years. They just didn't. They just didn't look at that door. Um, so they they open it and they're heading down. And while everyone else is kind of walking about and, and looking at all the all of the pictographs and such on the wall, Adora and Catra have a minute to like talk because Catra is still clearly shaken up by what happened yeah adora like adora tries to reassure katra because katra is not having an especially good time you know she's like listen yeah she's just like it'll be okay trust me and you know katra's obviously not doing especially fine but you know she's uh, she's she's feeling a little better now that Adora's reassured her, but luckily Shadow Weaver is here to ruin everything immediately, and is just like, oh well, you know, uh, thanks to your little outburst earlier, where we have to keep moving so we don't get caught, idiot, and just like uh, Adora tries to keep things rolling, she's just like, okay, let's let's go, let's just let's just go, and like. It's one of those things where uh, Adora is, at several points in this episode, trying to push past Shadow Weaver's whole shtick here. Um, but unfortunately, the way that it it seems to come off to Katra is very different than the way that Adora is actually intending it to come off. Because Adora is just trying to brush shadow weaver off and move on without engaging her um but as far as catcher's concerned it feels to her like adora is just letting shadow weaver say whatever she wants yeah like she's not defending her from shadow weaver she's not pushing back against any of the things shadow weaver is saying whereas adora is taking the just ignore it you know just don't even bother listening to the words she says don't even like interpret the noises um catra is not all about that she still has adora has had a bit more time to sort through her issues with shadow weaver with her being in bright moon for those past couple of seasons catra has had no such luxury her issues are still raw and and and, and uh, at the surface there and so I think she's she's frustrated by the whole kind of deal going on here. 
Yeah, in addition to, it's also just sort of everyone kind of deals with this stuff differently sort of thing. Adore is the kind of person who would rather not spend the energy uh, to engage with that sort of thing because, you know, she's she knows where that heads. She knows where it leads. Engaging with it is just not worth her time. Also, literally, they are on the clock, uh, you know, but Katra has a different approach. She is... She's spiny. She she wants to to hit back uh, harder and more often than you know than Shadow Weaver does. That's kind of her her sort of ML. That brings us to the next thing, uh, which is they're they're walking, and Adora steps on a circle, which bursts into flames. Catra instantly dives through the fire there to head to grab her. first through the fire just zero hesitation absolutely no concern for herself she is diving into a wall of solid flame and just drags the door out of there and you know the door's like hey i'm fine it's all right uh and they have a little little moment (laughs) then the door gets the world she she makes the dreamworks face uh this is of course she she has the world's biggest (laughs) smirk on her face and is just like did you just jump into fire for me? Yeah, and you know they're they're like she's laughing, and Catra is all flustered. Like I did not, you know, it's not because I like you, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. You, you know, naturally. I must we must remind you this is the DreamWorks property. Thus, Adora does make the DreamWorks face. Oh God, it's true. She does, in fact, make the DreamWorks face. <laughs> Clearly, you don't own an air fryer. Um, <laughs> and then we get a great reaction shot of everyone watching this lesbian activity. Uh, Bo and Glimmer, as usual, are just sort of like... Just kind of nonplussed, just like, yep, this is happening. Cass's Spella is in the background with a little smirk, like, oh, these kids, they're so cute. Shadow Weaver is... you can see the gears turning in her head. Yeah, she's what you might call unimpressed by the display. She's like, hmm, (laughs) I see how things are now. All right. Yes, so this leads us very neatly into the next... No, before we talk about this scene, because it's really good and really dramatic and it looks great, there's fire everywhere, we have to talk about this stupid fire, alright? Because wizards are the worst, and it's all terrible, so the the fire that burst out of that, that glyph was illusory. As Shadow was like, yeah, okay, it was illusory fire, don't worry. However, some of it is real. What? It... Wizards? What do you mean? What are the what are wizards ever doing ever for any reason? What do you mean? Some of it is real. Why would any of it be illusory? Well, well, obviously you make some of it real and some of it illusory, so that if any of uh, your wizard pals uh, don't know uh, which which fire is real, they get all their robes singed off. Wizard. She literally says, some of it is illusory, some of it is real. Like, I just can't handle it anyway enough about the wizards. We all know they suck. It's time for this scene. So, first of all, this entire sequence is set in a gigantic flaming hallway, which looks really good. Yeah, it's a super dramatic flaming hallway with, like, buttresses and that sort of thing. It looks like it's in a cathedral from hell, it's great, but so the, the thing about this scene, if you recall, about ten minutes ago, I said that uh, Shadow Weaver's sort of normal run-of-the-mill, like main line of attack with her sort of manipulation 
just is kind of deflected. It's bouncing off of Adora at this point, um, which isn't ideal for Shadow Weaver here. You know, she needs to find a new tack, and her gears were turning in that last bit here. So she's going a slightly different direction. So yeah, she's here. Adora is just sort of, you know, in the back, kind of lost in thought. And Shadow Weaver sees this and, and goes back. She opens with you and Catra are close again, I see, uh, which is interesting. Um, we'll, we'll find out why she's focusing on that later. Adora immediately is like, it, it's none of your business. I don't, you know, you don't need to, like, get out of my business. But then Shadow Weaver sort of smoothly glides into like, well, how long has it been since you were, you know, having trouble transforming? What's going on, Adora? You know, if it, we, we kind of need Shira right now, you know? Yeah, exactly. Like the the transition from her sort of motherly tack to to this is sort of what sets in motion the actual core conflict of the finale of this entire show. Everything else, you could take, literally, all of the set pieces, they don't matter. This conversation is actually what starts in motion, uh, sort of the ticking clock here. Because what Shadow Weaver does is she attaches the association for her feelings with Katra to her duty, her her sense of duty, as Shira to uh to the planet right she is saying okay it's been a while since you were able to turn into Shira and what happened since then well you started getting close with Catcher again right i don't know those two seem pretty connected and she's she's weaving these threads together she is basically trying to create the image in Adora's head that her having an emotional relationship, a romantic relationship with Katra, um, having emotional attachments at all is a massive flaw. It's something that is preventing her from being able to see clearly and be able to access her full power. It's going to prevent her from doing what needs to be done. And she's very vague about what that means right now, but we'll get to what it actually means in about three minutes. Yeah, and I mean, this whole, you know, I think we talked a bit earlier in the Portal Spoiler Zone about how this scene mirrors the conversation with Angela. There are several shots that are mirrored, like the general the general position between the two of them, the fact that it is a mother figure for Adora. But while Angela is reinforcing the kind of person Adora is and is like, you need to be there for your friends, you know, you cannot always be the one who sacrifices yourself. Sometimes you have to share the burden. You can't handle everything alone. Shadow Weaver is saying the opposite. Shadow Weaver is here saying, you are the most important thing on this planet. If you fail, everyone else is dead. Yeah, specifically, the line she uses is the world needs you as She-Ra, not Adora. Which is the exact opposite of the sentiment of uh, Angela's talk with her. Where it's like, you, you know, you, you did not just inspire me as She-Ra, you inspired me as the person you are, as Adora. And 
Shadow Weavers it directly says like it is Catra is distracting you. She is confusing you. She you're you're she is you know you're losing your focus because you're too focused on this. And she follows it up with the 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 finishing blow of haven't you hurt each other enough? Which boy howdy that's real rich coming from Shadow Weaver. Yes, it is. But it's such a carefully calculated line. It's so calculated, and she's like. You know, if you really care about her, focus on protecting her. Very like, if you if you love her, you have to let her go. Situation kind of thing. And this is and this serves dual purposes um, for for her here because like not only is this trying to 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 break down the connection between her and Katra, but it is preparing Adora for what happens next. So they get to the the crystal chamber, and it's a big crystal. It's a huge crystal tower, and everyone's like, well, how are we going to get this to uh back to base yeah this i will note this be this this crystal tower this is not a beacon of hope for mankind no it is certainly not uh well it kind of is well okay actually i guess it is a little bit but and so shadow was like it's don't worry it's a code it's on the crystal all you have to do is stand in it uh, and you'll absorb the, the failsafe, and you'll just you'll just have it. You'll just have it. It'll be great. Don't worry about it. it. Needs a password. Here, just do it. Just do it. Just do it quickly. Don't ask questions. Stand in there. She stand in there, and you'll get the thing, and it'll all be good. And Katra says, she steps forward and says, "Hey, why? If you knew what the password is, and you knew what to do, uh, why didn't you do it?" Yeah, this, like, to be clear, this whole scene goes really fast because Shadow Weaver is, she's, like, physically pushing Adora to do this. She is, like, physically taking her hand and touching it to the, like, the the contact plate on the crystal. She is pushing her towards the crystal physically. Like, this needs to happen as fast as humanly possible. And as soon as Catra runs up to stop Adora for a second to ask these questions, Shadow Weaver's fist immediately clenches in, like, extreme anger. She is not willing to let this go on for any longer than it absolutely has to. But but Catra is not here for that. No, 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 no. She's, she's got very important questions to ask. Like, what is going to happen to Adora? What's going to happen to her when she goes underneath of this big rock? Yeah, so she, yeah, she's just like, what's going to happen to her? What are you, what aren't you telling us? Because, you know, like, Shadow Weaver is trying to deflect, she's like, you're just being paranoid. Like, we just have, we have to hurry and get out of here. Our cover's blown because of you. So we should get the failsafe and just leave. But Catra, Catra is not budging. Catra is like, no, you are hiding something here. And everyone starts to get suspicious of shadow weaver because they remember oh yeah this is shadow weaver we're talking about why is she why is she pushing adora into this yeah you would think if it was shadow weaver that she would be the one who wants to absorb the entirety of the power of the heart why is adora the one who has to do it well it turns out the reason is that this kills you super dead you you take in the fail safe you are in you are intentioned to absorb the entirety of the heart of Etheria into your body before all of that magic goes back to the planet. This this is bad for most things. Um, theoretically, Shira might 
possibly survive the process. But Shadow Weaver doesn't know for sure. Shadow Weaver doesn't know that. Nobody knows that because no one's ever done this before. No one who ever, no one who made the failsafe is alive to tell anybody. And they probably didn't even intention it to work that way. So basically, uh, Katra kind of hits the nail on the head where she's like, Adora, are you kidding me? You can't do this. She's literally sacrificing you right now. Yes, and I think, the, the I love the part where everyone in the room immediately turns on Shadow and is like, you are trying to pull a door into this, you're you're just a coward, you're just like, you just want all the power for yourself. But Adora is the one who st- like tells everyone to be quiet and is like, I need to take this, I need to do this. Yes. Now, there, I, there's a, so Catra runs up and is like, it does not... It doesn't have to be you all the time. You don't have to do this. It doesn't always have to be you. There is a scene here where Adora, she, she grabs her wrists and pulls them off her jacket. And it's like, she's like, it's the only way. I'm so sorry. And I want to focus on this because a big thing between Catra and Adora in the past, a big thing with, with Catra's uh, issues with Adora is that Catra has always said that Adora loves being the hero, that she loves just coming in to save the day right i think there's this when when adora is, is telling catcher that she's the only one who can take this this fail safe into the heart of etheria the look on her face is not the look of someone who loves being a hero no it is haggard it's tired she's tired of being the hero she is tired of having to sacrifice everything all the time for everyone else but she has to do it, at least in her mind. And again, this really is the difference, I feel. Like, Adora doesn't really have a hero complex. It is an Atlas complex. She is somebody who feels that she has to take on the weight of the world because no one else can or no one else will. And Shadow Weaver's previous conversation here, the one in the Hell Hallway that's part of what the point of it was, right? Because some of it, sure, is to try and drive a wedge between her and Katra so Katra can't stop her, but the most important thing, the critical thing, is to reinforce Adora's tendency to be willing to sacrifice her own happiness and well-being for that of others. She would rather take on that responsibility so nobody else has to she knows that she knows full well that someone else in this room could walk in there and could take the heart shadow weaver herself could even do it but adora is the kind of person who would rather take that on than even let shadow weaver be the one who has to do it she would rather sacrifice herself than watch someone else die and that's who she is as a person the problem is that that has consequences too. Which we'll get to in a minute. But first, there's a cool wizard battle. So Micah is here. Um, he greets his 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 beloved daughter and his favorite sister and that teacher he hates. Um, and I just wanted to point this out because it's a cool sequence. Mysticore has really been a very background element of the show and we've never really seen anyone uh you know doing cool magic combat other than shadow weaver who doesn't do it very often um and certainly never against 
someone who also has magic. Yeah, we we don't get very many cool wizard battles because all of the Hogwarts school of space wizards, they just, they, they don't fight very often. They're mostly academic, it seems. But here we get all these trip wizards coming in and we get some cool looking magic battle stuff. Like we've got people deflecting bows, arrows. One of them turns a net into like a bunch of tiny projectiles. And Micah uh, is using dark magic because... You know, he's chipped, and so why would he bother not? It's the strongest thing. And he says, you know, when, when everyone realizes in horror that that's what he's doing, uh, he's like, well, you know, I learned from the best. Oh, there is something we forgot to mention about that previous hallway scene. You know, they're talking about these, these, holo- these, these like, pictographs on the wall, right? Depicting the kind of history of Mysticor and magic and whatnot. Uh, and one of them is the creature we see from the Spell of Attainment, the gigantic uh, eye monster that sprouts infinite hands. And, you know, cast a spell as, like, yeah, there are plenty of other wizards who have uh, tried other ways to obtain the deep magic and paid a terrible price. And she looks directly at Shadow and was like, you know, you summon uh, an unspeakable horror from the depths of the Nightmare Realms once, and nobody ever gives you a rest about it and nobody ever leaves you alone she's just like listen i almost killed myself and a 12 year old i don't see why you have to keep bringing it up it would have worked if he wasn't such a baby <laughs> it's like she was like yeah it would have worked if micah hadn't like wussed out it's like he was 12 and you were summoning the devil yeah she's <sighs> shadow weaver is she sure is something. Like, the fact that it's so long after the fact, and she is still, still thinking of it in those terms is just Is she so... still just like, ugh, would have worked if that guy wasn't so cringe? Yep, cringe 12-year-old not wanting to get devoured by, by like, a, a magic eldritch god nerd. Would have been fine, you know? But yes, that, I just wanted to point that out here while uh, while Micah is, is just really wiping the floor with everyone using dark magic. And Adora, at this point, has stepped into the failsafe thing and is, you know, getting energy crucified. We'll talk about that. Yeah, she's she's got little dots all over her. They're all flowing into her heart, which is now getting like this cool little heart symbol on it. Um, but while she's, like, writhing in horrible electricity pain, uh, she looks over at everyone being subsumed by evil dark goo, and, uh, the camera, of course, uh, focuses, uh, very heavily on Katra, uh, who is, is having a pretty rough time being sort of, uh, tangled up here in, in, uh, darkness tentacles, and uh, and this and this naturally is the uh, the catalyst that actually gets uh, Shira to uh, arrive on the scene. Uh, you know, it it seems almost potentially like Shira seems to come out mostly uh, when it's when it's actually like emotionally resonant for her when she's trying to protect uh, her girlfriend. I mean, her friends. That's not like she likes her or anything. Um. Yeah, maybe it is something like that. Maybe it's like instead of being powered by the, you know, just it could be it could mean anything. But she 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 pops out, she restrains the wizards and uh goes to help Catra. It's like we got the failsafe, it's time to go. And Catra stares at this symbol that is now sort of floating above her heart. It is a like it is a heart-shaped glyph that is just kind of glowing right there. Uh, above her chest and 
The Catra hates to see it. Catra like slaps her hand away and just leaves. Yeah, she's got tears in the corner of her eyes. She looks. She has a look of just total betrayal on her face. Really, just betrayal and just real sadness. And she runs off with Milog uh, wordlessly past the uh, the fire barrier. And Adora's just kind of sad, like upset but like in a confused way by it she doesn't really know why she did that and but she doesn't have time to question it really because they just need to get out of there because you know obviously these uh these ropes of magic aren't going to last too long on our extremely skilled wizards here so they they run on out uh dora collapses the door frame not not sure that's going to buy them that much time uh but you know it's the thought that counts and they get back to camp so we see you know, everyone's sleeping. There's a very cute scene of, of Bo reaching over to grab Glimmer in their sleep. You know, they're right next to each other. Yeah, they're both just sleeping, and Bo just kind of, like, instinctually or, like, half asleep, just kind of puts his hand over on Glimmer's shoulder in, like, the, the bunk over. It's, it's, it's pretty cute. Listen, we, we all we all enjoy Glimbo here, okay? It's good. It's a, it's very it's very good and cute. Uh, we see Adora sleeping. And then we see Katra sort of sitting on a shelf above her, not in her sleeping bag. She's got a backpack, and she looks just the saddest anyone has ever looked. She's She's got a very concerned look on her face. She's very She's deep in thought while she stares at the failsafe. And yeah, this failsafe icon, like, it is a very good, you know, it's the reason I, I asked for good logo design questions in, uh, in the question post, it's just a really good-looking, like, icon thing. Yeah. But to Catra, to Catra, what what seeing this thing floating over Adora's chest means, it's basically like, oh, she's marked for death. Oh, she's going to die because of this. Yeah. And, uh, oh, important thing to note also is that while Adora is sleeping, Milog is just sort of resting on on top of her. Uh, you know, it's. I'm sure that doesn't mean anything. And yeah, so Catra gets up and goes to leave, and and Milog seems confused and concerned. And, and like the whole time that she is walking away, Milog is like talking to her, and you know, Catra can understand him. Um, and presumably, what he is saying is like, "What? What? What are you doing? Why are you leaving her? She needs you right now." Um, but Catra is just completely silent. She uh, she walks out. Adora wakes up. And goes after her. Yeah, Catra tried to be as quiet as possible, but, you know, Adora's sixth sense, her girlfriend's senses are tingling, and she has to, like, uh, she has to go after her. So they, she, she runs after her, and it's like, where are you going? Are you just, are you just leaving? And Catra tries her best to scramble away, but, uh, but she's, she's not quite fast enough. So, like, Adora tackles her. And they and grabs her bag, right? Her backpack, and they and they. Adora is just cannot understand why why Catra is leaving, um, and Catra is just like I don't, you know what? I'm doing you a favor, right? I'm I'm gonna leave, so you aren't distracted or confused. I'm not gonna like sit around here and watch you die. Because you can't, 
like you can't accept not being the one who has to do everything. Yeah, like like Catra leads this in with doing the 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 confused and distracted line from from Shadow Weaver, like. But you know, and Adora shuts that down really quick. She's like, no, no, no. Listen, that's not like that's none of that's true. Like Shadow Weaver's just being Shadow Weaver. Like I don't feel that way at all. But that's really not the core of the issue here, Adora. The core of the issue here is that you've marked yourself for death and you're willing to die. And you shouldn't have to. And you shouldn't be. Because because here's the thing. Um, and this ends up being a very, very core, in fact, really the core portion of the conflict here at the end of the show is that the concept, the idea of the person who feels the need to sacrifice everything for the sake of everyone else, the person who is willing to take on any amount of burden in order to lessen the burden on other people, no matter how much pain that causes them, no matter how much that pain is visible to other people, no matter what the outcome is, they still take it. There's consequences to those actions there's still a lot that is happening because you do that. And this conversation is what sort of is, is maybe the first time Adora even thinks about that idea because Katra is willing to accept that Adora is going to sacrifice herself. And she knows that there's not a whole lot that she can do to stop her. But she's not going to sit around and watch it happen. She's not going to take that burden on. Because when you when you make a sacrifice like that, you're putting a burden on other people too. And that's kind of an important thing that, that sort of gets brought up here. Is this sort of subversion of... Or I guess not subversion, but a critique of sort of messianic style like destiny characters and this whole show really is kind of a critique of that but this really gets to the heart of the matter in a lot of ways because you know the core of it is when someone sacrifices themselves they're not that doesn't happen in a vacuum there's a lot of people that care about you know that that there's a lot of people that you're going to hurt very badly uh by doing that and Especially when there's an, there are other ways that this could happen. Uh, there's there's other solutions to this problem that don't just have to be this. But Adora's not willing to see them because she has been sort of brought up and has always thought of herself as the person who has to take on that burden alone. You know, Shadow Weaver's entire point earlier was reinforcing that that sort of point of view, um, and kind of the the important thing that adora has to learn here is that there is another way and so katra uh there is a line here that i i was thinking about which will uh you know become more important later where you know the big line of course katra asks what do you want adora well she well she says specifically why do you have to sacrifice everything for everyone else when do you get to choose what do you want adora and Adora doesn't have an answer. No, she just says, I have to do this. I don't get, you're right, I don't get to choose. And this is not the answer Katra wanted, but I think it's the one she knew she was going to hear. 
Um, and she just like, and she says, you're going to sacrifice yourself. You're going to give everything up for everyone else. I don't have to sit here and watch it happen. I don't have to do that. Yeah. You'll have to do it without me. And we get a stay. We get Adora just on the ground holding Catra's backpack. And she just tearfully asks her to stay. She says, I need you. But it doesn't It doesn't work this time. I need you. She says, I need you. And Catra just says, no, you don't. You don't need me. And disappears. And Adora just is sort of clutching the backpack and screaming her name and crying after her. And it's... Uh, it's... Again, this is, this is the, this is the heart of the show here. This is, this is the, the conflict that lies at the center, the, the center of the whole thing. And then she goes back to camp and, uh, she still has the backpack and she's clutching it close to her chest. Shadow Weaver, who apparently heard the whole thing because she's just like that. Uh, she's just like that. Says, you know what? You made the right choice, Adora. You did, you did a good thing. And, she, and Adora just snapped and says, you know what? No. I'm tired of this. I, like, you ruin people. You you ruin any chance they have to be happy. And whatever I do, I am not doing it for you. I will make, I will, I will make sure you will never see an ounce of that magic. You will never get a single iota of your heart's desire. Yeah, and Shadow Weaver is fairly taken aback by this. She she sort of thought she hit her home run here. Like she was listening on this conversation, she was like, "Oh yeah, I did it. I got I got Adora exactly where I want her. Uh, these two are split up. We don't I don't have no worries now. Everything's gonna be great. This is gonna all go according to plan." But no, Adora is not. Adora has not made it into the corner pocket. You you did not get a perfect game of pool here, lady. Uh, you in fact failed pretty hard actually uh i mean you 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 did successfully split them up for for a grip here but you uh you really didn't get control of uh of adora here the way that you intended no like not at all and you know she obviously you know she's like i i did what i had to do um i was like i needed to do all of this i need you need i needed to get you into that crystal chamber and adora's like yeah Whatever, keep telling yourself that. Whatever you have to do to sleep at night. It's like, yeah, yeah, you know, whatever you do to sleep at night, you know, you could have, you could have done it. You could have done it, lady. I mean, you're like, you're the magic, you're the magic person. Yeah, you want the magic so bad, you got, you got all the magic right there. Um, yeah, no, and then we just end with her storing back into camp, leaving Shadow Weaver out there completely alone. Yeah. <sighs> so, yeah, that's how Failsafe ends next time. We're we're doing it. Heart part one and two. The, the finale, finale. The oh, episodes. Man. That's oh my god. It's like we have been unable to talk about them at all in detail, but we're doing it now. But we're gonna talk about them in in absolutely uh, exquisite four K detail. Uh, you're you're gonna be able to see every single pixel of the detail of these two episodes. You are right. We we are going deep. We are diving deep. That's gonna be a mega podcast. This one's already probably gonna go real long. That yeah, one we're is already at fifty seven be... minutes on the recording, and we still have like twelve questions to get to. So, right. like I said, all of the questions are gonna be in the separate where the spoiler zone would go. We're just gonna have a big question block here. So let's get to plugs here yeah let's get these plugs out of the way nice and snappy like so we can get to the real meat here that's right so you can find us on twitter at 
podcasts of power where uh we post questions and all that and sometimes i retweet uh truly hilarious clips of he-man running into a vase and then sitting down at a table like nothing ever happened yeah yeah pretty good just classic classics stuff. of classics of show we also have a gmail and you know if you hang on if you have a an email that you want sent in for the post show email wrap up that can go right to uh pot of power at gmail.com yes we are accepting all comers so please uh send us send us your 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 big end of the show questions that's gonna be that that episode is going to be pretty fun i'm really looking forward to getting into all those those fun questions and just and just having like kind of a party about it you know it's sort of a send-off situation so so yeah then of course we have our patreon patreon.com slash pot of power uh where we have all sorts of stuff going on uh we have our three side shows there we got the kipo cast the owl cast and the infinicast where we watch kipo and the age of wonder beasts the owl house and infinity train respectively yes uh those are gonna by the way be continuing after the end of the show we'll be probably releasing those like uh weekly yeah weekly until we uh until we get through all of that which you know shouldn't be shouldn't be like too terribly long we've got like well actually infinity infinity train might might take a while because we we only just started that yeah infinity train we have all four books left basically but we got one season to keep a left and of course we have owl house season two which is still ongoing and i'm that is the one I honestly, that's the one I'm excited to get back into the most because there's, I've been, I have been seeing some things and it's all looked extremely good. Oh yes. I, I've, I've been avoiding the spoilers as much as possible, but, uh, but I, I trust your judgment when it comes to good content. I will just say the most recent episode is called Ida's Requiem. Oh and my so God. so you know it's good. Oh, I bet that's going to be solid. That's right. So yeah, we, we those will be continuing on, even though we are quickly coming to the end of this show here. And of course, we've also got a few other things on there. We've got She Riffs, where we talk over old episodes of the She-Ra cartoon from the 80s with syncable audio commentary riff track style. Uh, we, we we will also probably continue those monthly uh, once we're once we're over if we can. Yeah, we'll we'll be continuing a lot of the bonus content style stuff. Um, uh, by the time uh, I I have actually gotten like some some stuff back from some various tech re- tech support individuals. So um, assuming that you know that works out and i can i can get that fixed up so we'll we should have uh the actual watchtower uh stuff up pretty shortly here as well which will we be promise great. it exists it does exist listen it's uh oh adobe products they've been in jail for months because of adobe blame adobe as we always uh, say it's miserable but <laughs> terrible company yes uh as well on top of all of that of course we also have uh, bonus episodes and we also have a uh patreon discord so if you're subscribed to the patreon either at the one or the three dollar level uh you get access to the discord power where uh sometimes we have like a little movie night uh you can just you can talk about the episodes people post like their cats and stuff uh it's pretty cool it's like you know, it's a pretty chill little place to hang out so if you connect your uh, discord account to your patreon you'll just automatically get added um and it'll all work out that way yes uh we've also got our mini sodes uh where we cover she 
stuff in the She-Ra orbit. We've done one on the comic Legend of the Fire Princess. We did one on Noelle Stevenson's illustrated memoir. Go read it. Uh, very good. Go read it. Yes. And on top of all that, we also, uh, if you are subscribed to the $3 level, uh, you get a shout out in every episode i'll take this one i'll, I'll be back on the duty I'll, I'll i'll prepare my lungs here <laughs> uh with a special shout out to someone who signed up uh, between recordings here maya capasso thank you very much yes thank you and of course the rest of our force captains here we go alex hulla kitty sasson tiana nita paul robinson ludovica peruzzi casey cosmos emily p zach jen b kate sinclair chris remy dylan Salty Salty, Blue Holly, I, Beauregard, Kaylee, Louisa, Garrett Johnson, Ross, Ivy, Emmalyn, Ashley Butcher, Autumn Keys, Anelia, Cody, Haley Moreland, Yusuf Gurch, Ashley, Kyra Williams, Mabel Mabel, Ryan Kuhn, Jennifer Jones, Jess Pumphrey, Leon Lay, Sean Montgomery, Jack Onuro, Olivia, Brittany Ray, Michael Steinert, Tara Stark, TCO, Brennan Fitzgerald, Tobu, Emma Grossman, and Robert Harris. Thank you so much. Yes, thank you so much. Your sport means the world to us, and uh, yeah, and I, I hope you enjoy the last, like uh, the, the the little bit here, the the sort of the end game of uh, of the of the program. And we also have future things coming up very soon here. If you would like to follow our next project, which, as a reminder, is a critical analysis of the entirety of final fantasy 14 uh which is like what yes a final fantasy 14 companion podcast which is almost a decade of text to work through here and and various things various writers it's gonna be a time you can follow that uh radio free heidelin over at heidelin radio on twitter that is of course heidelin spelled h-y-d-a-e-l-i-n radio or just search Radio Free Heidelin. Yes, it's it's quite a uh, quite a spelling on that one. I never quite get it right, but but yes. So that's I literally had to redo the spelling on the Twitter because I messed it up the first time. Oh my god, that's really funny. So I yeah, I always forget about that Y that's in there. But yes, that is that is the future. Uh, I think we will be releasing the first few preludes uh, over these months on the main feed as well as on the new feed to sort of transition into it and as a as a reminder of course final fantasy 14 has an expansive free trial that goes up to the first expansion uh which is 60 levels of content that's like what 100 hours or so if you really do everything yeah it's like about 100 hours it's, it's pretty good it's all free it's all for free and it doesn't hurt that uh the first expansion is one of the best ones it's quite good oh yeah heaven's word is uh super good uh everyone loves everyone loves those funny elves so so yeah feel free to to, to give it a shot if you want um but yes that's that's coming up in the future uh, and of course i also i gotta plug disney minus here still going on over there at disney minus pod on twitter we just did an episode on the great muppet caper fun movie love those muppet shenanigans next episode on an extremely goofy movie oh yeah i forgot there was a sequel to a goofy movie that's right there is and it is extreme it's about the x games and goofy uh he huck, he hucks. Doesn't he meet like Tony Hawk or something? No, Tony Hawk is not in that. Uh, I don't think. 
I think there's probably another skater in there, but you know, uh, there is a disco dancing sequence. Oh yeah, there is a disco dancing sequence. So yeah, that should be fun. I I, I quite liked the the first Goofy movie, and I'd never seen it before. Fun time. Uh, so I'm looking forward to that one. Yeah, well, I'll look forward to that. But for now, if uh, if you want to talk about some some deep questions regarding the uh, the the penultimate episode of the show, or I guess the the penultimate penultimate episodes of the show uh we'll see you for the last time on the other side at the curious cat here first because i think these will be the quickest bites oh yeah this these are these are a little more bite-sized questions well most of them so let's go down to the top here first one from anonymous why doesn't shadow weaver just take a door's place uh it's because she's a coward yeah she's just a total coward and also like listen if she takes a door's place and she dies then she doesn't get to use all the cool magic that gets to come back to the planet and be the strongest wizard in the world again. But frankly, you know, since we are in the spoilers on here, uh, honestly, I feel like it would have been better, right, for her if, like, she she left this lasting legacy as the woman who saved Etheria. They'd build statues of her. They would build statues of her. And not the defaced ones in, in the wizard, in wizard town. Like, big old gleaming statues. Yeah, her cowardice really bites her bites her square in the ass here because, like, she doesn't even leave behind, like, a legacy. She sort of tries to in the very end there where she tries to, like, um, you know, she sacrifices herself to save, like, uh, Adora and also technically Catra. Like, like she, she sacrifices herself and, like, takes out the big dude. But, like, you know... That's enough. Adora and Catra are the only people who see that. You can't. I know this is the spoilers, and I know we, we can talk a little bit about it, but I don't want to get into that scene yet, because that's a big one. That's a very big one, and I have thoughts about that that scene and what Shadow Weaver does, and we'll get there. Yeah, yeah, okay, that's true, that's true, we won't get into it, but needless to say, yeah, she picked a real bad bad time to uh, to do that. She could have gotten a lot more uh, of a legacy by doing the other thing. She could have gotten the, all the glory, the, all the glory. So next up here... We covered this a little bit in the main episode here, but why do you think a catcher was upset about the door taking the heart? There are multiple reasons, but I wonder what the main reason is. I mean, yeah, the main reason is pretty much just that Adora has marked herself for death in a way that seems, at least to Catra, completely needless. In a way that, you know, flies in the face of everything that they've they've tried to do. It sort of I think the catcher in a lot of ways makes a lot of the struggles that they've been through completely worthless, right? Like what was the point of trying to save everyone else of trying to save her? If she's not allowed to even see the world after that, you know, what, what is the point of having made the previous sacrifices? If she's just going to, sacrifice herself 
completely you know what what would have been the points and i think that's you know and i think in a lot of ways also it um it feels like a betrayal for her uh right like i feel like katra feels like she's being left behind again by adora um in a very final way and she she's very hurt by this because she thought that was done that adora adora promised you know very recently here that she's not going to leave again and here she is saying she's going to leave again forever forever for more on that tune in next week yes next up here from anonymous again was Catra really the only one who questioned Shadow Weaver's motives when Shadow Weaver told Adora to take the heart? It seemed like everyone else was ready, easily ready for Adora to take it. I don't think they were ready. I think she was... They didn't know what it entailed. I think Catra was just the first person who figured it out. Because, as she says during that scene, like, I've been, I've been watching you this entire time. I have been keeping an eye on you, and you've been in this room before... You know exactly what to do, so why haven't you taken the heart for yourself? Yeah, right, like, uh, and another big part of it, of course, is the fact that, you know, Katra is the one who figures this all out first because she has been paying attention. She's the most distrustful person of Shadow Weaver in this whole room. She hasn't had time to get used to her presence. Everyone else has had basically a season and a half or season and three quarters even, of just having her kind of hanging around. So she's sort of become a background element to them. Her just being shady is her normal thing. But Katra, her senses are heightened. She is on on alert, and she sees all of this stuff happening. Um, other people would probably have figured it out, but um, Shadow Weaver was moving really quick. Like, remember, she was literally physically pushing Adora as fast as possible through the room and all of the motions to turn on the, the Crystal of Arxia here. Like, she wanted this to happen fast enough that nobody would have a chance to question it before it had already been done. Yep. Like, Shadow Weaver knew that this was about to happen and she was trying to get out ahead of it. Like, she was trying to get Adora into the center of that plinth before anyone else figured it out, literally. Like, she was just like, all right, stand in there. Don't go stand in there. Yeah, I mean, really, as far as Shadow Weaver's plans are concerned, this was one of the weaker ones, frankly. I mean, I guess she didn't really have a lot of other angles she could have taken, but... I mean, just kind of like trying to shove her into a little tube as fast as humanly possible and just hoping nobody else would catch on to how weird it is that you're doing this. It's not the most well-rounded plan in the world, lady. No. Next one here. Does Catra believe that Adora sees her as just a distraction? I I, I don't know that she does. I think there's a part of her that is afraid of that. Um, I mean, to talk about, to, to crack open the vault again a little bit, because it's a line of a, a dialogue I brought up in this episode, uh, when Katra asks, what do you want, Adora? And, and Adora's, you know, she says the thing, I, I have to do this, she doesn't answer, she doesn't know what she wants. Immediately after that, at the beginning of Heart Part 1, when, when Milog just sort of forces Katra to sit down and talk about what happened... The thing Katra says is Adora doesn't want me, not like I want her. Yeah. That that was the answer she was looking for. Yeah. And she knew she wouldn't get it. Yeah. Yeah. 
Uh, yeah, it's so like, like that's the thing, right? Is like I, I, I don't think necessarily that Catra believes Shadow Weaver's tack here. That like she's a distraction and confusing, right? I don't think that's kind of the core thing here. That's a fear of hers, but what she actually believes is that. Adora will always put her sense of duty before everything else, including her. That's really what she believes. It's, not, it's less that Adora sees her as a distraction, but that Adora will never put her first, or even put herself first. She will only ever put first the sense of duty she feels to everyone else. Yep. And, uh, yeah, I think... You know, it, I don't think. Yeah, I don't think she believes any of Shadow Weaver's nonsense. Like, not at all. But there's a bit of her that uh, that thinks, yeah, like she's always gonna come second, if that, maybe third. Yeah, maybe third, depending. Next one here, all these are anonymous, of course. Does Perfuma know Catra is in love with Adora, or is she just telling Catra to be open to friendship with Adora and others? She absolutely. Oh, knows. she, she knows. She knows. Come on now. Listen, every single person, every single person by this point in the show is fully 100% aware of how absolutely catastrophically gay these two women are for each other. Like how how world-shatteringly like homosexual these two women are. Everyone knows it. The only person who has yet to figure it out is Adora. Yeah, as I said in that scene where Catra dives onto Adora to save her from the fire, everyone else is looking at them and knows exactly what's going on. Even Castaspella knows at this point. Yeah, and Castaspella is well, she's not the most uh she she isn't always observant. Yeah, she isn't always the best at reading the room, so to say. But mm-hmm. even she can look at this and say, "Ah, I get what's going on here." Yes, uh, it is really, it is really cute how she gives a little smirk. Like that's that's yes. adorable. I, I, uh, the like. I know. I'm just thinking about like Castaspella, like having like like there being like a like a party situation or something, and like Castaspella is just being like just being the most aunt there is like she has like a little like a little sweater for catcher or something that she made oh my god are you picturing it can you imagine it i am picturing it it's in my mind's eye and i gotta tell you i like to see it Uh, you'll love to see it you'll love to see it i do like it um so yeah i'll be thinking about that for a bit just aunt castaspella getting everybody's sweaters Ooh. yes yes i mean listen somebody has to it might as well be our designated aunt character that's right um the next question here i guess these are all a little old from uh these but they're still relevant still relevant what was catcher thinking when she saw scorpia had the same lightning abilities that shadow weaver has i forgot about that yeah because like yeah that makes sense because you know shadow weaver was pulling her uh her abilities her power from the black garnet because of course her like ability to channel magic uh was basically taken away from her after she tried to spell of obtainment so she had to like pull magic from something else and so she would have the lightning powers i imagine that seeing scorpia sort of deploy that red lightning 
at her the same way that uh, that Shadow Weaver had in the past was probably not amazing feeling. Probably didn't feel super great. No, probably not. Uh, next here, almost on the curious cat. What do you think Catra and Adora's real weaknesses are? Is it too? Is it too predictable to say each other? See, that's the thing, right? Is like that's that's like the that's like the the, the surface level answer, right? Is like is like each other. But I think honestly, their weaknesses are a little more esoteric than that because I think like like Adora's real weakness is that she is too willing to put uh obviously her real weakness is her atlas complex is just her willingness to put herself in peril for the sake of other people um even when it's not actually the correct solution and then catra's real weakness of course is water so you know yep that's true her weakness is water (laughs) this is this has been demonstrated plenty of times so finally, the one that's been sitting in here since April twentieth, four twenty, nice. Yeah, um, that is. It is from four twenty. Awesome. Perfect. So this has been in here for a while. This is the fail-safe question. I think we answered something to the uh, sort of thrust of this a bit earlier when we talked about religious symbolism in this show. But here we go. Okay, so in the fail-safe episode, when Adora accepts the fail-safe, can we talk about her assuming a crucifix-like position? And the markings on the palm of her hands, like the holes in Christ's sand. I did make note of the hand holes. Uh, there are there are the markings that there's markings along her heart, and then there's also two on each of palm of her hand. Yes, there are in fact hand holes in the scene. The one who died to redeem us all parallels, and how other parallels like that appear, especially considering Noel's connection to Big Church. Anyway, I'm not okay. Well, we hope you're better now, anonymous question asker. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, like, uh, like we talked about this um, before a little bit, and I even talked about it a little bit in this episode, but yeah, there's, like, some really definitive, like, messianic, like, Christ imagery in in the show in general, but, like, in that scene in particular. Yeah, she is accepting the, the, the like, the, the burden of the world here. She is, she is marking herself for death she's being she is being crucified a little bit in this situation and you know it it makes it makes perfect sense because again the the show is in many many ways a massive critique of predestined messianic like sacrificing everything characters like it is it is a it is a show that looks the concept dead in the eye and says no this is wrong not only is this wrong because it's not true but it's wrong because it hurts everyone in that scenario you know not just the person sacrificing himself but everyone they're connected to and it's relying on those connections it's having people to help allowing those people to help letting them in that is actually the solution you know taking on the burden of the world by yourself is never actually a realistic solution to any problem and you know it it's it's good it's a good show oh we hop over to twitter here for some other questions uh we got we got three here so one from casey cosmos uh friend and patron of the show 
What logo design do you think is real neat? So there are a few that I really like. Uh, I have always been a fan, despite the fact that until recently I never broached into the series. I've always really loved the way Final Fantasy logos look. Oh, yeah. How each one of them has a unique thing about it. Like, you know, I, I, I really, especially the ones I really like are uh, the 10 one. I think it's really colorful and really cool looking. Uh, of course, the, the, the classic one, the most, like, well-known one is Final Fantasy VII with the Meteor. But, like, rolling a lot of what the, the, the thing is about into the logo and, and incorporating it into that is just a really, it's very, into a really, and making it a really cool and attractive logo is something I've always liked about Final Fantasy. Yeah, Final Fantasy does a really good job with logos. I especially like how, um... They really put a lot of uh, a lot of effort into the art, making it like pretty complex and pretty like visually distinct, very visually distinct. In fact, um, it works out really well. As far as I'm concerned, uh, I I love quite a lot of logos. I think uh, the the I mean the logo for uh, Shira obviously is like a really big one. Um, I'm also I, I'm a real fan of like sort of simplified. Uh, designs a lot of the times like the actual failsafe itself um is one of my favorite sort of like pictograms of a heart that i've ever seen it's it's really 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 good um in that same vein i really like the uh the symbology used by uh, uh Sinar wild hearts has a really really good logo really strong um hyperlight drifter also really strong logo on that one um uh, transistor all of these sort of exist in the same sort of thread of of logo design a lot of like simple um very angular kind of looks um but they're very punchy they really like they stick in your head like you can you can instantly see what they look like when when you're reminded of them yes i just want to make sure say yoshitaka amano the uh, main artist for the final fantasy series and the one who often does the the cover illustrations uh just just a tremendous artist oh yeah super 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 good artist uh next up here got one from dan on twitter just got just want to say that i love the podcast found it a couple weeks ago and caught up very quickly that is very quick yes that is that's pretty quick you really got through those episodes my question is what do you think the best friend squad would choose as their squad logo so I misread this at first thinking it was their individual logos, but now I'm... So I want to answer both. I want to have my cake and eat it too here, where I want to do their individual logos, but also the best friend squad emblem that they would have, right? So... Oh, yeah. For the individual ones, obviously, because I'm me, I was thinking of Final Fantasy job emblems. So bows would be a bow stretched out into the shape of a heart right oh yeah like uh ooh, you know what there's a perfect bow for that too there's like this um there's like this really cool uh bow that's like kind of heart shaped actually it's um uh like a mongol riding bow i forget what they're called but they look basically like that that would be perfect and then like in the background there'd be like technology stuff or something just some circuit boards or something built into the heart of the bow right so that one's easy glimmer i feel like glimmer would just like have have some like a sparkly fist yeah see glimmer is glimmer is interesting i feel like 
probably the sort of four-pointed um uh the four-pointed chamfered star as like a uh sort of center point because that's like a like the the sort of the sparkle effect and then you have that and uh honestly probably that plus those those two little tiny uh wings that she has on her back just uh sort of attached to it i think that that would be a really solid logo for her adora i mean it would be the sword and shield right yeah right well i i think yeah i think the sword and shield right the 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 new sword and shield yeah catra would have like would it, would it just be an, an extra stylized cat would it just be a little kitty cat yeah that's pretty cute yeah you know like a, like a jaguar like it's like it's like an extra like a super stylized action pose jaguar all jagged lines and stuff like something you would you would airbrush on the side of a bike like a harley oh man actually that's pretty good that's not really the direction i was thinking but honestly that's pretty good i kind of like that as for the best friend squad logo hmm what is the thing that unites them all yeah that's that's the thing right like what is what is the what is like the core sort of visual they don't have like any moment like in Yu-Gi-Oh where they all put the the hands together that form either the 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 kanji in the original or the smiley face in the dub oh yeah they don't really have a moment like that would it be hmm because like now catcher is here like would they all unite around a door or would they each have something to add to it uh that's what i'm thinking right i think everyone would add their little piece to it it'd sort of be like i feel like it would be almost like a a very very heavily stylized sort of it would it would probably be very similar to how the updated Shira design, the the post sort of protection Shira sort of incorporates small elements of everyone into her new form, right? So I feel like probably it would be something with uh, a heart at its core, with probably it would probably have the the heart at its core with uh glimmers sort of wings probably cat the catra symbology of the sort of face outline the face mask outline uh probably uh probably the sword as well in the middle i i feel like something like that right just uh, figure that out put it on a t-shirt and i'll buy it um <laughs> and lastly here from tara tara stark friend and patron of the show scenario adora goes to comic-con and sees a bunch of people proudly showing off fail-safe tattoos how does she react bonus points how does the breast friend squad react well, well i feel like it would be a little bit it would probably be a little bit bitter yeah right? the, like i can't imagine they'd be super jazzed about that like the thing that the fail-safe represents for the fans of the show is very different from what it would represent for the characters of the show right because obviously the fans for the fans it represents catrador it represents the love that saves etheria but like we discussed in the episode to catra it represents a death sentence <laughs> Yeah, to Catra, it represents a death sentence, and to Adora as well, it pretty much represents a death sentence. It represents, like, her having to accept a destiny that she doesn't want. 
but that she has had thrust upon her, seemingly. So, you know, like, I don't think either of them would super be jazzed about, they, like, I don't know, I feel like, I feel like Catcher in particular would probably get real pissed off at people. Yeah, so why, why do you have that on, why, why do you have that on your arm? Just, like, accosting people at Comic-Con. Oh, God, that's a funny image. Oh, my God. Catcher gets thrown out of Comic-Con for ripping the the failsafe off of a sweater. You know, I'm pretty sure I read a fic somewhere sometime where, like, the failsafe got burned into Adora's skin after, after the, uh... After the heart exploded. Oh yeah, I think I've read that exact one too, actually. So like that's I like I like that idea. That's a cool idea where it's just like a like a permanent scar there. It's cool. Um, but yeah, I don't I don't think any of them would be fans of it, honestly. Uh, especially on Adoring Catcher. I don't know how Bo and Glimmer would feel. Probably not positively. Yeah, I can't imagine they'd be super fans of the situation either. Frankly. All right, let's get into these emails. I'm sweating like a hog. Oh God, yeah, it's like. Uh, their, their AC is not, is not doing great, and, uh, I was, I was just, uh, over at their place for, for a birthday, for a birthday, uh, My birthday. Yes. Mine, I'm this special little birthday. Yes. And it was, let me tell you, that room. It's hot. That room was pretty warm. It's hot in here. So let's get into these emails here. We got two. Got two. One from a while ago, one from very, very recently. So, one uh, from Matt Frankentrapta here in our emails here. So, uh, we got a couple of here. One, oh, okay, so only one of them is for failsafe. The rest of these are for hearts uh, and or the email roundup, which is going to be a good one. So, failsafe, I find it interesting that the person responsible uh, for causing Hordak to have serious doubts about his allegiance to what was essentially a religious fundamentalist cult was Entrapta, a scientist. I never thought about that. That is very interesting. Yeah, actually, I I hadn't really thought about that that angle of it either. But yeah, actually, it was sort of it was it was sort of Entrapta who uh, Entrapta the scientist who who brought him out of it. And but what I like what I like about that the most actually from from the the angle of how that works is usually I feel like in in media and. Um, and that sort of thing when you have sort of a science aligned character try to sort of bring um bring someone out of sort of a religious fundamentalist situation uh it's usually like uh it's got kind of a there's really no nice way to say it it's got kind of like a reddit atheist like logic yeah. flavor to it leaves kind of logic lords like i i will disprove your your religion with my facts and logic and then we'll be best friends yeah that's it usually sort of has that kind of attack to it but what i really enjoy about the angle that it takes with entrapta and hordak is that it doesn't really go in that direction it's more of like like the the logic at play isn't the logic of your religion is false but the logic at play is that you know the the things that make you imperfect and the emotions that you feel aren't just like good to have in general but they are what actually makes you a total and complete person they are what makes you whole and what makes you special that like 
the thing that makes him really question his attachment to the cult that he's a part of isn't my religion is fake. It is this isn't how I should live. That this isn't that I'm not being treated as an individual and that I'm not being allowed to exist as an individual. And I think that's that's a much more interesting way of handling it. It's a much more like like it's it's a better way of handling it. Yes, I like it. I never thought of that angle about their friendship before, but I like that. So now I got one from Shar, uh, from uh, from Gundam, I, not not from Gundam. This is not from Shar Aznable. No, but that listen. I you... want to get an email from Shar Aznable. Can we make this happen? Ah, uh, yeah. Can we make this happen, please? Let's 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 get on that. He would not like us very much, or maybe he would. I have no idea. I need to watch Gundam and figure out who what Shar is about. But this is from a different Shar who forgot to send this in last week. So let's get into it here. Some people don't like the meaning of Grayskull, but I really appreciate it. Without knowing, Adora was fighting for Mara and her cause the whole time. She was fighting for the honor of people that fought before her. Also, Serenia is mentioned in the Serenia Portal Mara message and is the constellation that Lance and George bicker over whether or not being named after a real person. Oh yeah, that's right. Serenia is like a folk hero or whatever, uh, or is interpreted as one, but it was really just... One of Mara's friends. That's pretty cool. That's that's a good catch. I forgot entirely about that. Real, real deep pull. Yeah, I, I do like the angle of like, yeah, the, the, the it was always Mara's rebellion all the way down. Yeah, it was. It was. You know, Mara really set all of this in motion. It was her, like that. She 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 sort of set everything up to sort of to end up in a good place and. Oh man, I wanna I wanna talk at length about Mara right now, but I really I really gotta I really gotta save it. Shut up right now. <laughs> Close that door. Close oh, the door. God. Lock it tight. We that we got that's gotta wait. I, I'm surprised that people don't like the meaning of Grey Skull though. I like I haven't seen that personally. I, I'd be kinda surprised. Do they want it to tie into the He Man lore? Do they want it to be a castle? Yeah, I I guess. I like I don't know. It's it's weird i guess yeah i guess people maybe really wanted it to just be like a direct reference to castle gray skull and i think it probably still is is the thing just like on a different layer like like we were saying before sort of like the the theory that i think both of us are like kind of into here is the idea that like gray skull is probably a very important location to eternians and it's sort of like the the first rebellion was probably pulling on sort of the warped imagery of castle grayskull um that was like originally representative of something very different than how the eternians as an empire really wielded that image you know so they were sort of retaking it as it were and the second bit here which is about this episode uh from char the parallels on what Shadow Weaver is saying to Adora about Catra are so scarily familiar to how people react to people coming out with the confusing and distracting lines. Homophobia doesn't exist in Etheria, but uh, Shadow Weaver is enough by herself. And this, there is a, co- a comment from Noelle on some live stream that happened a while back where they were basically like, yeah, no, we didn't want any actual homophobes on the show because that would suck. But Shadow Weaver is kind of 
the stand-in for like structural homophobia and like all of that stuff. Yeah, she's representative of that. She's is she's a slight abstraction on the concept, but she is a is a big portion of it. And yeah, like it is intentional that the parallels are that familiar because that's that's I mean that's really the point is like Shadow Weaver is using the same tactics that very manipulative very bad people use all the time like shadow weaver's manipulation tactics are very familiar to a lot of people um because they're they're like like they're very grounded in in the kind of things that um that people like her really do and really say you know uh, i think there's there's a lot about shadow weaver that makes her one of the like one of the best and worst villains in the show best as in best written worst as in worst person um and this is a big portion of why that is is because she's very real like the threat of horde prime and hordak to a lesser extent is kind of abstract in a lot of ways there are things that don't really happen and when they do happen they're much bigger event they're they're very large events that aren't very personal like they're not very personal things like if you're if you're dealing with like uh two states fighting each other that's that's rather impersonal but when you're dealing with a like very emotionally manipulative and abusive person that is very personal that's a very one-on-one kind of thing and that's something that i think a lot of people uh can can connect with on a lot more of a of a, of a personal level and that's and i think that's 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 part of why shadow weaver sort of becomes such a such a strong like, like she's a character that leaves a very 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 strong taste in your mouth um whether that's uh entirely like horrible awful one that that you know you just hate to see her whenever she's on screen or if that's like you know you are like like you find her engaging as a villain you know that sort of thing i think like no matter what she's a character that's going to elicit a really strong response in people and that's uh, a big part of that is just how personal the way that her and the way that she she does things the the way that her her homophobia and the way that her sort of manipulation and abuse manifests in such a such a real and and compelling way we'll talk more about how her arc ends next time but for now i am melting into a puddle um so we should probably end this episode here oh yes we're 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 close to 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 getting to the two hour mark here so probably probably good to 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 mosey on over to uh to the next episode here which need i remind you it is going to be the the end of the series here we've got the heart part one and two it is just called heart there is no the is it really just yeah i guess it is just heart it's just heart but yeah well one as a reminder those are going to be one episode of this podcast we are covering the entire finale as we have done in the past with two parters 
And that's going to be a big episode. Oh, yes. That's going to be an important episode. It's going to be a big episode. It's going to be an important episode. It's going to be a... There's there's going to be there's going to be so much going on and additionally it's going to be the episode where we do it live. We're going to be recording in person in the same room, not this room, not in this furnace of Minecraft uh, that I am currently being smelted in, but another room, uh, which is good because I think my arm just fell off and it's just sort of a jello on the floor. So we're going to we're going to we're going to leave you with that here while I go and, and dunk my head into like a vat of ice water uh, to, to to cool things off here. Yes, uh, please please try to uh, to keep yourself in one piece. We're gonna we're gonna need you for uh, for next week. This is fine as long as I get the torso and the head all in one piece. It'll be good. <laughs> the limbs, not a, you know, they're not mandatory. But anyway, I have been one of your hosts, Nero, and I've been the other host, Jane. And for the final time, we will see you on the other side of Podcast Spondos.